and welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. oh, indeed. It is a Friday, and what a great Friday it has been. It's a lovely day outside, so... Spate of good weather for the natives of Michigan. Ah, about to come to a sudden close. Yeah. With pouring rain. But that's okay. It's not snow. Right. I, don't, I don't care what other forms of weather I am punished with. It's not snow. And yes. that, that is my mantra. I don't have to shovel white stuff out of my driveway. Yeah. yeah. You know, any weather form that doesn't involve hard labor afterwards is a victor in my book. Everything is a plus plus. Yes. So. Yep, and with that, you know, we're starting uh, a new little series here with uh, the Dexter Screaming. We've been doing some live casts. We had one where we talked about the Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. We did a fine expose with Perfect Storm and Logan. Yeah, via the fine folks at Perfect Storm Comics and Games here in Battle Creek, Michigan. A awesome place with killer prices on lots of awesome stuff. Great stock of minis, uh, solid stock of new 5e, lots of stuff for the uh, and for the informed gaming user. Hmm. Discriminating gamer as well. Yes, but uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we went about an hour with that. Yeah, the sinister secret of Salt Marsh, uh, little and I mean, with some also, we took some time out to nod to the other two modules in the series, uh, Danger at Dunwater and the Final Ed- Final Enemy. Yeah. Then we followed up with a little chat on uh, Tomb of Horrors. We we segued and uh, Ravenloft. Yeah, all classic modules. Yep, so check that out on their site. Just look for Perfect Storm Comic and Games. And a kudo to our excellent host of, for that occasion, Logan Fleming. Yep. Good on you, mate. Well done. That was a, that was a pleasure. You're a scholar and a gentleman, sir. Right. And speaking of scholars and gentlemen, uh, we have a call-in from Froth. Ah, yes, another scholarly gentleman. Good yep. on you. Yep, so take it away, Froth. We'll be back after the break. What's up, gentlemen? Froth here. Wanted to compliment you guys on your last uh, several episodes. Really been enjoying them. Trying to get caught up, so I'm still not done with the Monk one yet, but uh, y'all have given a lot of good advice on this one-shot episode. Um, Looking back on it, I probably could have saved a couple of my campaigns if we'd taken a little breather or taken a break and done a little palate cleanser with some other game or something like that. But uh, my favorite... Systems for one-shots, definitely Call of Cthulhu, and uh, we also did a little three or four session D6 Star Wars Tatooine Manhunt thing recently, which was fun. Also really good advice on pre-gens, you don't want to waste the time uh, creating characters and everything for something that's just going to be a few sessions. But you guys know how Anchor is, the minute's about to wrap up, so keep up the good work, see you next time. All right, that was Jeremy Smith, and uh, thank you for the kind words. Yeah, we're really glad that you liked our little um, segue or mini-campaign or palate cleanser, whatever you'd like to call it, one-shots. I, I, I love that it's called palate cleanser. I just feel like, you know, that that's like the, the little mint that they provide you at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. You know, the little mini-campaign that just takes your mind off the big stuff for a while, because if it's been a serious grind, like, oh, man, you know, that just... Uh, my. 
my fighter's getting a workout. <laughs> so I think he's, he's lost five pounds because he, he doesn't have time to carbo load. Um, <laughs> if the sword arm is swinging until, like, I, I have tennis elbow, help me, cleric. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sometimes it's nice to take a little break. It yeah. just gives you a little window into other gaming opportunities, and it's a great chance to bring out those games you don't play a lot. Um, yeah, although, like we said, Call of Cthulhu is pretty much a one-night stand. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, if the player's like, you're such a tough DM, you're so mean, this game is so hard. Two sessions of Call of Cthulhu. If they make it through one, okay, kudos to them. But after two, they'll come back to it and like, oh my god, this is a cakewalk. Oh, wow, this is like baby town frolics here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. So I, I know that we're like neck deep in orcs, but it feels like I'm just punching elderly nuns. <laughs> well, with that mental image. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, neck deep in orcs. Well, that brings us to our tonight's topic, which is, of course, humanoids. Those other cast of characters that bring color to the D&D game world. Brought to you by the <laughs> uh, fine folks at TSR who crafted a wide variety, both stitched together from literal history uh, and from their own imaginations. Just a, a wild, fabulous collection of monstrous races and not-so-monstrous races, uh, which we all lump together into the humanoid category. But, oh, are they useful, and boy, are they an important part of the game. Yeah, they are, and... You know, whether you're punching orcs and knocking down doors and taking their loot, or, you know, you're exploring the intricacies of intertribal politics between those various uh, races, you know, the humanoids have been kind of the unsung heroes of Dungeons & Dragons. They have provided a backdrop for enemies and conflict, which make the game kind of fun for the hack-and-slash crowd, as well as opportunities for role-playing, which are less developed. But more importantly, you know, the humanoids go run the gamut from kobolds all the way to giant kin, like uh, ogres and even some of the uh, angrier races of giants, the frost and the fire. Oh, boy, yeah. They do still nominally kind of, you know, qualify as humanoids. Yeah, the uh, one, main enemies of the giant, uh, the ranger's giant class of uh, target creatures, species enemies and all that. They are bipedal, so... Yeah. Uh, and mammalian, so it, it's not a far stretch, and, and honestly, uh, to be a humanoid, they don't even have to qualify as, uh, you know, mammalian. I yeah, know, like kobolds or well, reptile gets. Yeah, no, reptile dog people. What an ugly combo. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll start from the least and go right to the... Well, the that's strongest. a good one to start on. Yeah, like, look, let's go with kobolds. Let's go with the much underrated kobold. All right, now I I know that everybody's like, oh yeah, like half a hit dice. You know, one to four hit points. A dagger is a threat to them. Like like yeah, three four hit points each. That's not the point. Uh, an enemy is only as threatening as the DM makes it, and you can transform a kobold lair into a horrifying death trap that will chasten even hardened adventurers. Yeah. Yeah. It yes, can kobolds, be done. Kobolds won't fight where the odds are not in their favor, which means they usually have to outnumber their opponents and the use of traps, you know, even simple ones, just like flaming oil and nets, 
look uh, high ledges <clears throat> that cannot be easily hit. Single round of missile attacks, retreat. Yep. Uh, and they keep moving back. You know, establish uh, a cabal there and put multiple exits out of it. Like they got, you know, they can come streaming out of these things like fire ants if they have to. <laughs> but as you delve down into the center trying to get at them, they just keep withdrawing. Moving uh, and fighting and surrounding the players, brassing burning, them. Burning oil and missile weapons, uh, crude poisons. Uh, you know, obviously, in fairness, they wouldn't have, like, the, the most deadly of poisons available to them, probably. But uh, No, but buckets full of uh, large scorpions. Yeah, yeah. On the magic user, that's pretty bad. Exactly. This, that, wow, where did you get that from? That is fiendish. That's, welcome to my playbook of kobolds. I love it. Holy crap, I'm harvesting that one for use in some campaign sometime myself. Uh, but that's the gist of it, folks. The kobold is grossly underestimated, and nothing takes the wind out of a strutting player's sails like having their butts handed to them by a bunch of tiny, tiny little dog reptile people. Yeah, and over the period of time, they have their uh, chief deity, G G yeah, chief deity, Kirtlevac. Mm. And, uh, you know, pretty much a uh, erstwhile god that uh, is now not only uh, attached to dragon kind and all that, but uh, kobolds, what they lack in size, they make up for in sneakiness and cunning tactics. Oh, yes. The, the, and, of course, with the new rules, there's no reason you can't level up some kobolds Yeah, you know, sorcerers properly. and, uh, you yeah. know, even a barbarian in a uh, chieftain or uh, tribal uh, champion can't uh, be put forth. Yeah, and, and not to preclude the rogue class, which, yeah. uh, uh, hello, was ever a humanoid race more suited for sneaking and backstabbing? I think not. And then, you know, you move up the chain a little bit and you get to goblins. And goblins, those little yellow-green-skinned bastards who are up to no good, riding wolves and other such creatures. They usually work as mercenaries and spies, small groups or uh, large groups, either one. They're well-suited to good tactics and they make a formidable presence, although Pathfinder has taken their own skew on them and made them their yeah. own. Now, now Pathfinder has made them a little more comedic. Uh, but, but nonetheless dangerous. Oh, oh vicious. That, there's no shortage of viciousness in, in the Pathfinder goblins. They are meaner than, uh, you know, the bears with hemorrhoids. Oh. They just have it out for everything. Yeah. Now, that having been said, without the comedic aspect, uh, they are of lower intelligence. So, you know, same as kobolds, uh, their efforts probably shouldn't be incredibly... Yeah, kobolds are pretty, uh, were pretty slick in the uh, brains department. They're, they're cunning and they're resourceful. And goblins are scavengers and primarily also sneaky. So they are They vicious. overcome their lack of intellect. You know, sure, okay, if they be like, they're not really much for sitting down and doing the book work. But uh, they're, they're not complete idiots. Yep, and they know an opportunity when they see it. When adventures sleep, they strike. Um, there's little rest near kobold glares. They'll find you, trace you back to your campsites or your safe holes, and, you know, just generally bedevil you. And no matter what game you're using, goblins are a unique race in the fact that they're probably the most uh, roguish types. Yes. And also very close to their god. 
Magnubiot. Ah, uh, Magnubiot prior letter. Yep. Now, so you can probably count on catching a few rogues and a couple fighter rogues as well as a cleric or two in the mix. Yeah, it's not unheard of, and in fact, this was uh, first edition, like right out of the DM guide uh, material that covered average potential spellcasting levels for shamans or witch doctors of humanoid tribes. So this, you know, it's not going out on a limb to give them their own troop, their own little cadre of, you know, ah, the tribe's shaman and his two apprentices. Mm -hmm. You know, and hey, look, I'm not saying that, like, the level one curse spell is all that great, but they stack. Yeah. You've been cursed three times? Uh, Yeah, minus three to everything sucks. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and they definitely know how to use their small size and stature to the best advantage. Oh yeah, they th- these are creatures that have a significant disadvantage in combat. So they, and remember this for all large groups of small creatures, they pick the opportunity that favors them. It's not because they're brilliant tacticians, but this is an easy one. Do not, you're like, oh hey, let's uh, go into a narrow hallway against that uh, eighth level fighter. Okay, it, it, you know, it, it, maybe we can rank up like four at a time, but uh, I, I'm sure we'll whittle them down eventually. No, no, just that's, that's not going to be a thing, okay? Yeah. Uh, but pelting the crap out of them with arrows and then running away, ah, jeez, you know, fire like ten arrows and then it's like maybe only one hit when the DM gets a 19 or a 20, but they've done that ten times in a row. It's a, it's a jerk move, but, you know, this is DMing. It's it's not necessarily about being nice. No, it's not. Like the bucket full of large, angry scorpions. Yeah. Covered in hot sauce. Still. <laughs> Dinging like that. Oh, oh. First, they, they throw you a, uh, they make you walk through a uh, collection of uh, laser-cut four-siders, and then... You've got to wade through lemon juice. Oh, so. <laughs> oh man. All right. Now the imagination is working up. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's move up a notch. Let's yeah. do the orcs. All right. Now the ubiquitous orc. Yes. Everybody's favorite monster punt is an orc. Because orcs are angry and dangerous and pretty much malevolent. Yeah, they're tough, enough to, they're tough enough to have a vested interest in getting out there and mixing it up. Yeah, there's one where early on you cannot take on orcs lightly. A large group of orcs will hand an adventuring party their proverbial hind end on a platter. Yeah, that's a sneak and get out issue. Uh, you know, you got orcs in a number larger than 10 or 15. Uh, if you can't break up that knot and get them into smaller groups, party probably shouldn't take them on. No, and they do use a wide variety of arms and armor, pole arms and bows as well as their normal axes and swords, hacking things up. Orcs are a vicious lot, and they're well-led. They have a large tribal hierarchy, or clan hierarchy. But the one thing that bedevils orcs is that they are very tribal. Each one of the tribes does not get along with the others, or has rivalries with some other ones that actually induce bloody vendettas when they meet. More dual rat! Uh Yeah, they don't put up with a lot of flack from other orcs. Uh, and it is a, you know, again, if you'll pardon my French, a constant pissing match 
uh, between every member of every tribe. Uh, the one-upsmanship gets way out of hand. So, you know, players can use that to their advantage. I mean, it's a nice trick. It's a nice offering from the DM if they have more orcs than can reasonably be dealt with, but there's more than one tribe present. Yeah. Driving a wedge between your enemies so that they're combating one another and thinning their own ranks, it's a nice option to put in front of the player characters because they'll feel like they've accomplished something pretty amazing, and they have. But don't hand it to them on a platter. Let that just be a thing that, yeah, if they do this right, they can make it work. Got an illusionist with a ventriloquism spell who speaks orcish? You know, you can start all kinds of crap that way. Yeah, one My God, it'll be like the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and orcs also lie well with other humanoids, for the most part. Sometimes working, hiring hobgoblins as mercenaries, which we'll cover next. But occasionally uh, taking in an ogre, or even working with a giant or two. Yes, these... You know, orcs being organized at least enough to hold their own and maintain their own uh, ranks, uh, with flight not necessarily being necessary for them, they can bargain with more powerful creatures uh, by virtue of like the strength of numbers. There are 200 orcs. We hired an ogre. How do we know we'll keep the deal? There's 200 of us. <laughs> That's right. He's not that stupid. He has to sleep sometime. Yeah. You know, he's dumb, but he's not that dumb. But orcs are always fun because they're straight-up combatants. They'll rush into a fray, fully ready to engage in combat. They will, after a number of uh, successive casualties, retreat. And then start thinking about tactics, bringing up bows and even small, small siege machinery if they have it. But the big thing with orcs is always remember that uh, as the rules have changed, now orcs have that orcish ferocity where they get to fight one last round. Yeah, Unless which I, really... thought, I thought it was a magnificent ode because the orc has become kind of an unsung hero uh, thanks to World of Warcraft and other outlets uh, that have reinvented orcish nature. Yeah, they, They've retold it in a way that is more endearing. Uh, you know, that, Sure, savage, primal, but also not without compassion, profoundly loyal to their own. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so there are other views of the orc other than the classic D&D &D standard. And I don't oppose any yeah. of them in particular. I think they're all great mythos. Uh, it's how somebody well, writes Well, the orc it. came from... Uh, humanoid nature has been rooted in a lot of uh, mythology. And the orc came from the Roman uh, name of a cave-dwelling demon or monster. We're really not sure of the root origins, but was taken by Tolkien and turned to a race of broken men and elves that populated the shadowy realm of Mordor. Tortured so savagely that they turned utterly to evil and take delight only in cruelty to others. Uh, that they are great craftsmen, but they are not elegant. No. No, everything is about function, mm -hmm. uh, not form. Well, speaking of function, uh, oh. moving up one notch further than that, the hobgoblin. Now, here's where, as a DM, you really... Danger zone! Yep, you get to really push your tactics button. Now, hobgoblins aren't as numerous as goblins or orcs, but they are very intelligent and highly organized, almost to an insane level of military codification. Yeah, let's, you know, this is the benefits of being more in the lawful evil category. Right. Where 
you've got a really rigid hierarchy, uh, a clear chain of command, and the ability to project power through your tribe really quickly. Like, mm -hmm. you know, an order is given uh, to these sub-chieftains, and it goes out undiluted. It just boom, 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 and all of a sudden everybody's marching in lockstep. Uh, that's something to be wary of. Plus, higher quality equipment, mm -hmm. uh, more thoughtful tactics, you know, the self-discipline. Yeah, self-discipline to form form a shield wall and, like, bam! Yeah, and hit the guy with the robes who's wiggling his fingers. Yeah, the, the tactical ability to figure out that the finger-wiggling robe guy needs to go. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all fire is concentrated on the mage. Yeah. Not pretty. Hobgoblins are probably one of my favorite races to use as a DM when working with humanoid opponents because they let you have that maximum amount of tactical thought. They're every bit as cunning, if not slightly more so, than the average human. Yeah. And they're bent on a martial focus of domination and conquer. Yeah, they are ground takers. Now, from a campaign perspective, you know, I'm just going to open the door and say that, you know, you can have an area dominated by hobgoblins. Like, say, for instance, all the time you're hearing about, oh, the hobgoblins are up in the hills and they're making noise. Well, what about a campaign setting, writing out a chunk of it and saying, one time they completely won. And now oh, there's yeah, thousands they did that of with, uh Pathfinder had an adventure path with all hobgoblins yeah. taking out art dwarven artifacts. And it's entirely legit. I mean, it's a reasonable assumption that a highly intelligent, disciplined, martial group would be able to take a place on the world stage, not just, you know, like, we're hiding in a hole in the ground because we got nothing better to do. No. Give them their due. They are crafty, dangerous opponents, and you can unleash all of your own personal cunning through hobgoblins. Now taking a little bit of a step back to the first edition days, hobgoblins were principally hired as overseers of other humanoids, especially orcs, to keep them in line. Since the various tribes would fall into infighting, hobgoblin mercenaries would be hired by masters of a humanoid horde to keep them focused. Wisely done, too, since orcs are pretty fractious at the best of times. And the hobgoblins would, overseers would keep them focused on the task at hand and keep the clan rivalries down. Now, all that said, hobgoblins themselves are kind of stoic, hyper-militant, and almost to a point without compassion. They don't uh, really care about what the aims of the methods are that they achieve their aims of domination. Oh, also they consider elf a delicacy. Yes. So. And yeah, their <laughs> anger towards elves. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other uh, great rivalry. Total enmity. Just, you know, mm. they'll, they'll Not only are you annoying, but you're a delicious snack. <laughs> it's a, yeah, really an <laughs> a hobgoblin looks at an elf uh, fighter mage uh, yeah, the way I would look at a a deer with an attitude, you know. It's just, <laughs> ah, you're cute, Bambi, but I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm in no mood for bulls. Yep. And so, you know, your hobgoblins are probably your go-to choice for highly organized bands of uh, militant foes that are creeping into your areas of civilization. Or they are good thwarts against uh, 
adventurers just making their way through the uh, hobgoblin lands and lairs. They have they are highly organized and adept at finding ways to break up adventuring parties. They are okay, alluring uh, people apart. Yep. Uh, tactically is another facet of the smart category. Which... And they're also high, uh, highly regulated to being the fighter class, which can, for a lot of people, well, that's a boring class, but, well, <laughs> a, high, a high goblin chieftain that is a fifth-level fighter is a thing to be reckoned with. Yeah, I was going to say a leveled hobgoblin that has taken the same care in selecting where they put their, well, and I mean, in some systems, feats, and in other systems, uh, specializations. specializations. Yeah. That's a force to be reckoned with. Those bonuses stack with everything. You know, you're uh, not to mention a sophisticated culture with reasonably strong witch doctors and things like that. Yeah. It's not impossible for priests to bless weapons. So now, much like with the orcs, you're in the category of creatures that it's entirely plausible for them to have a modest number of plus one weapons that are magical in the hands of their mid-tier officers and leaders Mm -hmm. and something exceptional in the hands of their leaders. So, you know... Don't be intimidated by the thought of kidding out a hobgoblin chieftain with some quality gear. Yeah, and his retinue of chiefs and subchiefs. Yeah, all of them well decked out. At the very least, you know, throw them some masterwork gear they've taken off their victims. Yeah, and again, you can look at those uh, early Dragon Magazine articles where they featured the deities of the hobgoblins and goblins. And uh, they are kind of unique that they share the same chief god, Magilbiot, but the hobgoblins have their own subchiefs or some uh, demigods that they follow particularly, mostly on martial warfare. So give those a look up. And, of course, the orcs got full treatment with Grumpsh and more. Uh, One-eyed. Yeah, they, they got their own category because, well, they can't get along with anybody. But the rest of the goblinoid race, Maglobiot for us. And the orcs said, oh, well then, I'll do my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Typical orc. Yep. And uh, <laughs> then we get into the more esoterics, the gnolls and bugbears. So we're just going to gloss over those a little bit. But oh, uh, the yeah. gnolls, um, you know, raiders. And Hobgoblins they're... who have been on a pretty serious course of steroids. Okay, that's that's an impressive thing right there. Yeah, gnolls are more lazy. They're the hyena. They're large class creatures with an exceptional strength. And they're hard to bully. And they are in. They are bullies. Yeah. Well, they're hard to bully by the lesser humanoid races of. <laughs> well, when you're like six and a half feet tall, and you know, uh, you know, you're packing quality gear. Uh, not to mention those extra hit dice. Yeah, uh, it's hard to bully. Is a pretty legitimate category. Oh, and that's our uh, resident cat Fritz. Speaking of hard to bully, I've tried for years to get him to stop meowing during you know uh, inopportune moments. It doesn't seem to. Face him whatsoever. I think he's just waiting for the bugbear part. I think he's a knoll trapped in a cat's body. But knolls, you know, they don't have a great deal of equipment, but they are highly uh, aligned to a god, Yinagu or uh, Lamashitu, no matter what uh, game you're using. A demon god most of the time. And although a bit lazy, they are raiders and fond of slaves. So they're very much prone to show up, raid a place, and then leave immediately before. Yeah, take full resistance. 
Oh, can they still have be no mounted in, against them. They have no intention of fighting a lengthy pitched battle against a well-prepared opponent. They are all about taking as much loot as possible. Uh-oh. And... Oh. Speaking uh, of... Oh, my goodness. Fritz. Uh, ah, yes. Caddis interrupt us. <laughs> uh, they have every intention of getting as much loot as possible in a short time and as with as little effort as they can, and then getting the heck out of the way. Uh, which, you can't fault them for smarts. Yeah, okay. which uh, makes them opportune targets for adventurers to track down. And they are dangerous because they have usually well-prepared lairs in which to keep their goods and slaves kept. And if they're a little lax in the guards, they are quick to react. They are very uh, smart and efficient at organization on an intrinsic level versus the militant level of hobgoblins. Oh, come on, we got to do the bugbear now. Oh, yeah. we got to do the bugbear. And then after the uh, Noel, of course, uh, as much fun as they are to smack down because they're large class creatures with the two, going after them with a two-handed sword is just so much fun. There's the bugbear. Yes, the awesome bugbear. Uh, literally one of the terrors of the early edition. Uh, yeah, three hit dice, start. <laughs> and the power to sneak on well-padded feet that, you know, just lets them sneak up on adventures. Keen hearing so that there's a high likelihood that the DM has tipped them off uh, legitimately. You know, the, look, what happens behind the screen is between you and no one else. Uh, but the bugbear has the unique ability to hear incredibly well. And this gives them an edge. There's a high likelihood that as the player characters are fumbling about, figuring out whatever they're going to do, traveling down hallways, the bugbears already know they're there. And if there's a lone bugbear guard or just two and they, they hear the party ahead of time, you have every right as the DM. This is not fudging. This is 100% legitimacy to have them tip off the rest of their bugbear crew and then prepare absolutely nightmarish scenarios for your players. Uh, and that's just, that's the evil in me coming out. But Yeah, bugbears have a lot of uh, kind of clout you know, with uh, the dungeon master groups because they're tough and they're relatively organized, although somewhat chaotic, and a propensity for violence and sadism. that uh, And catnip. <laughs> yeah, catnip. They're prone to catnip, which is probably why Fritz, when we say bugbears and catnip, he's already well trained to know that both of those go hand in hand. Bugbears well organized in their lairs, but solitarily, uh, they are stalkers, almost like the serial killers. Oh yeah, the they take world. delight in cruelty. They will follow party members. You know, like oh well, it looks like we wounded them a little. Let's. Uh, Let's give them a little space. Well, give them a little space. Let them let them think they got time to heal up. Then hit them again. Yeah, when they least need it. And so bugbears, you know, tough. Although not as numerous as their smaller goblin kin, big hairy brutes that they are. They're without any remorse. And as playing them as the DM gets you some chops to get some good, well earned hacks on the players while they're reeling from their initial encounters with other humanoids. Mostly, a lot of this is brung out in uh, the Caves of Chaos, which, if you look at the Keep of the Borderlands, it's kind of the classic uh, skirmish area for 
groups of humanoids living in close proximity who have learned how to live and negotiate with one another. And yes, intertribal trade and a kind of willingness to cooperate for the sake of necessary coexistence, rather than self-defeating all-out warfare. Although the initial one was the uh, bugbear commune, where everybody was welcome for dinner. <laughs> I remember that from the case of chaos. Yes, everyone's welcome for dinner. Yeah. Except you're on the menu. Oh, oh what was the name of that classic, sci oh, uh, classic science fiction tale? That uh, the cookbook. Oh, how to prepare man. How to how to serve man. man yeah. How so to not serve a man. set of instructions. It's a cookbook. Oh. Well, yeah, you know, bugbears also are the culinary masters. <laughs> they have exquisite tastes. Oh yes. And they're more than prepared to taste whatever the party's got to offer. With those three hit dice, they don't drop the instant they're hit. Well, but also with, uh, they were also uh, included quite a bit as henchmen of the drow. Um, because they're greedy, angry, and sadistic, they fit right in. And they live closer to the surface, so you can use them as perfect intermediaries for a cruel, malevolent, under-earth race. Yes. And that brings us to the larger ones, which are, we're going to just touch on because there's just so many of them, and oh, some of gosh, them deserve hundreds. their own. We'll, we'll probably... Do an episode sometime on the giants. just on giants alone, but but ogres and hill giants, I think, kind of fall in their same more or less category. Likely to be hired, likely to be working with humanoids. Those those are good ones to cover. Yeah, and uh, you know, a hill giant lair like in uh, setting of the hill giant G one. That well, that shows you pretty much that giants are they're willing to build, but they're a bit lazy. But they are very aggressive and highly territorial. They take any intrusion on them personally, and they will level any humanoid settlement, human settlement nearby. Oh, absolutely! They have—they're well aware of their superior strength and size, uh, and their significant hit dice. And this is where a single giant hireling is entirely appropriate for a lower-ranked party. Uh, you know, you've got your third and fourth levelers. There's, you know, make them sweat a little. Oh yeah. You know, you're busting up that uh, hobgoblin retreat uh, where they've got some, uh, you know, goblin servants working for them, and then the hobgoblins or the the boss group. And oh, but surprise! They hired a hill giant. When the incursion goes too far, you know, oh, they've got a cave troll. Yep. You know, just great. There went our day. Yep, and giants uh, <laughs> and ogres also uh, work quite a bit as extensively as mercenaries. They found out they have a good gig because they're dumb, brutish, but they're extremely strong and tough. Something that all humanoids are in need of when you need it. They're basically like the Sherman tank. Yeah, that's where you send that in, you know, in, oh, we got to bust this up. That's a machine gun nest. Yep, let's send in the ogre. He'll take a few arrow hits like they're nothing. Yeah, he can waltz through this without much in the way of trouble. Uh, now, the rest of the party, on the other hand, <laughs> uh, uh, if you aren't one of the four or more hit dice creatures, you'll wish you were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, early level parties would be well advised to retreat from an ogre, at least an alert one. And again, uh, don't be disappointed if your your party is exceptionally cunning. Uh, if they're clever at all, 
they'll exercise the same tactics that you use, mm-hmm. which Hold means on. that sooner or later they'll learn to gear up, fire missile weapons, and retreat as necessary, and to make use of shield walls. Uh, I've seen yep. player characters adapt before because they know if I put them against smart opponents, I will be absolutely amoral and uncaring about their suffering. Uh, if I put them against profoundly stupid opponents, I'll let them have a field day. It's okay. Uh, I try to keep it as legit as possible. But the big thing is, is that whatever humanoid you use, they all have a culture. They have their own belief systems. And even if they're a bit ruthless and crude at times, they do have a certain structure that they adhere to. And with that, you can negotiate with them at times. Yeah, they have motivations too. Uh, Increase in power, gains in treasure and reputation. Uh, These are things that, yeah, they'll let the player characters work with them for a while. Uh, it'll, It'll give them a starting point if they don't botch it. Right. And sometimes negotiations, you know, just even bribing them can get the party out of hot water if an encounter turns south suddenly. And that's the big thing right there is that you want to make sure that when you're portraying humanoids, yes, they can be uh, just as much combat fodder or sword uh, fodder as you want, but, you know, there is a lot of uh, good role-playing value in meeting and negotiating with them, like the one Hobgoblin Mike Dwarf kept running into in your campaign, Mike. Oh, Rib Render. Yeah. Rib Roch Render. Rib Render. Roch Rib Render. Uh, mercenary Captain. Yeah. That was a good lesson there, right there. I can't stand you either. But it's all right. I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of good role play value if you look for it. And more than just combat, you know, also there's a good chance that in a well-run campaign that at certain points players may even find themselves helping a humanoid here or there to gain them a favor so that they move out of their area. Clearing out an enemy of an orc chief who's powerful enough to assert himself in a favorable condition to you even for a short period of time, is a worthy uh, encounter, and it's worth consideration. Yeah, all right, that's a fair enough point. That's a nice campaign angle. Is uh, you know, well-entrenched humanoids with a clearly demarked territory uh, have every right to negotiate with adventurers. Solve this problem for us. And we give you passage. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a worthy note. Uh-huh. And humanoids are somewhat superstitious of undead, like most people are. And so, I've had know. many campaigns where they run into orcs who just don't want to deal with the undead. And, you know, you've got clerics and... Uh, I hit it and it got back up. I don't like it. <laughs> I like it not. <laughs> and this problem, and you get free passage through. So, yeah, sometimes you can say, well, dealing with humanoids can be tricky. But that's the part. It makes for an interesting role-playing encounter. Well, with that, we have fodder for other uh, episodes about giants, which I think we'll spend some time on that in the future. So we hope you enjoyed our little view on humanoids. And again, if you have any comments or questions, if you think we got it wrong, if you think we got it right, whatever, just let us know. Oh, yeah. Here at, uh, in my case, Box at Twitter. Yeah, at Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D. Gaming. Yeah, you can always seek us out. We... Uh, also are, on our Facebook page, uh, the Dice Are Screaming. We are the all-access pass of gaming podcasts. <laughs> yeah, right. So. We do. We do have a little bit of a media presence. 
and my not wife... quite ready for primetime players oh, on no. gaming podcast. No, 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 no. The live cast was pretty, pretty <laughs> oh, taxing on us. That was pretty fun. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah. So check that out too. And as always, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're, We're out. out. See ya.